If, you're, if, you're, if you've been tracking with us, we just began a new series, and I'm going to continue that series this morning. Um, we're in this series called the, the Upside Down, the Beatitudes, these teachings of Jesus. So uh, who would like to read um, the second Beatitude for me? Is there a microphone? Who'd love to offer to do that? Marcus did it last week. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Could be up on the screen. Don't leave me hanging. Come on. <laughs> Thank you, David. Um, I was sitting in the chair at the hairdressers last week and she began to cry. 45. She was only 45. Hairdresser was telling me about her friend and her co-worker who had just passed away. Um, battled five, five years with cancer, leaving three young school-aged children. Devastating was the text message I received later that day. A family member had messaged me to tell me about a distant family member who, whose husband of only five years had been sent home to hospice care. He had cancer and it was untreatable. One day later, he passed away, actually, just this week, aged 45, leaving a young eight-year-old boy. whole village stood still as the young, as the tiny white coffin was carried through the town square. You could hear a needle drop. Baby Ben was six months old and had been born three months premature and spent all of his life for six months in hospital, connected to tubes and wires and monitors. A miracle baby. He lived and at one point it looked positive, but then the fight gave up. I could spend all morning, and I'm sure you could too, telling stories like this. Stories about the painful reality of life when life particularly is stolen from us. When dreams are shattered, when the unexpected visitor of sorrow knocks on the door, and we hear terrible news. Death is one of those realities that we just have to all, have to all deal with at some point in our lives, whether it's our own mortality and whether it's the reality of losing someone close to us, none of us get to escape this. It's the starkest reality to life, our greatest enemy. And it comes in, in different forms, whether it be literal, or whether it be the loss of, another, of an, another type of loss, the loss of a dream, the loss of health, the loss of independence, the loss of a relationship, maybe a suicide or a miscarriage, or sexual abuse, or an abortion, or betrayal, or the loss of friendship. Just like literal death, there's a myriad of other deaths that we and our friends have to deal with in our lives. They went with the other family. It was over breakfast I got that message to say from a Scottish friend who'd hoping to adopt a child for the past year. They'd been in the matching process for what felt like the hundredth time. They messaged the group to say that the matching process had selected another family. And so the process was restarted. It was over Skype that a friend of mine came out about his sexuality and with tears in his eyes spoke about the years he felt had been stolen from him. 
where he'd been pretending to be someone he was not. And the loneliness, the loss in that. I think I'm going to have to let this dream go now. God's shutting the door on it. This was another friend recently over coffee who'd spent years dreaming of living overseas and in all of the joy of now getting married and starting a new life realized that that particular dream was now going to have to end. That dream was fading. They had to let that one go. These are deaths as well. Areas where life steals from us in a sense. Peter Scazzaro, he calls some of these in more natural losses. You know, when you graduate from college, but you lose something, you lose financial and emotional security perhaps, or your youthful skin begins to wrinkle in age, these are losses too. You move away and your former friendships fade. The friendship that you hoped for, the relationship that you hoped for doesn't work out. Your children becoming less and less dependent upon you as you grow up, it's a loss. Leadership changes in church communities and there's a loss to mark in a sense or your small group or your table or your city group or whatever it might be comes to an end you get something stolen from you that's really sentimental or maybe your home is destroyed or damaged in a fire or you lose the precious photograph of the loved one the only one you had or maybe a a, a precious family pet passes on these are all deaths or losses too natural ones they all come in different shapes and sizes it's all around us right everywhere we look if we look hard enough and I know some of us in this room don't have to look too hard because death and loss is right there it's into this very context that we're going to speak today this beatitude the second blessing that Jesus brings in Matthew chapter 5 it speaks so profoundly to us in the midst of all we've just considered and it speaks shockingly do you remember the quote that I I I said last week as we began our series that the Beatitudes, these verses of Jesus are, are designed to shock us. If we're not shocked by the Beatitudes, it's only because we've tamed them with a patronizing sentimentality. That being sentimental about Jesus is like the religious way of ignoring Jesus. That too often the Beatitudes set aside into the category of nice things that Jesus said that I don't understand. So what is blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mean. How much more shocking or confusing or strange can you get, Jesus? Are you mourning? You're blessed. Really, Jesus? Really? Blessed and happy are those who mourn and aren't blessed and happy. That's how I read that. Like we're on week two of this interesting exploration of what is this seminal teaching of Jesus, this manifesto of the kingdom, where he lays out his vision in these verses and in Matthew for the kingdom of God. He lays out his vision for the world. And here's me thinking this is going to get the church going. We're going to, we're going to dig into the Beatitudes. We're going to see what is going to inject some energy and enthusiasm and vision into our community. And then Jesus goes and spoils that because he talks about the poor in week one. He's talking about those who mourn in week two. Come on, Jesus, really? Super Bowl weekend was last weekend. 
And I guess if you'd, have paid 15, if you'd have paid a few million pounds for those 15 seconds or 30 seconds of advertising and you got Jesus to get up there and share his vision for the world in those 15 minutes or 15 seconds, you would have to think, wow, that was just such a waste of time. Go on, Jesus, sell the vision of the kingdom of God. Sell it to the masses. Hope, joy, love, riches. Just sell the kingdom of God. And he stands there with an audience, with the crowd, and he shares this. Blessed are you when you mourn. You'd be pulling your hair out, right, if you'd spent all that money setting Jesus up to sell this vision of the kingdom. And it's in this teaching of the Beatitudes on the mountain to all his new disciples and to the crowd watching on. Here is Jesus doing just that, sharing his vision of the world. The kingdom of God is among you, he says, when you are in mourning. And you're a blessed people, a happy people, a somewhat joyful people when you mourn. Really very strange, really very confusing, not very attractive or clear in a sense. Very upside down, very upside down. There's clearly something going on here, clearly something that Jesus knows that we don't. And you know what? I don't think Jesus is trying to be clever here. I don't think he's optimistically naive. I think he must know about something in these Beatitudes that is mysteriously true about life mysteriously true about life. There's something about the hidden realities of the universe that I believe Jesus wanted to teach us in this verse. Something in God's way of seeing the world, in God's way of shaping the world, in God's way of ranking what is valuable. Those who find themselves in a, in a mourning of death of someone or something in their lives those who are grieving the loss of something precious in their lives, those who are struggling to cope with the devastation of loss are blessed and more they are comforted in the kingdom of God for they shall be comforted. How? Why? What has this got to do with the kingdom of God? It seems that the ability to mourn is related to our participation in the kingdom of God. It seems key if you're believing and taking seriously these, these verses of Jesus, if you're really taking them seriously, it seems key that to trust God and to live with this kind of worldview is really, really important. That Jesus is teaching us maybe how to mourn, opening us up to comfort is what matters in some way in God's kingdom. Why? And when you're living in these attitudes, being mournful, being poor in spirit, that the kingdom of God is among us. So why mourning? Why comfort? Why all of this? What has it got to do with the kingdom of God? What has it got to do with us this morning? How does it work? There's a line in this poem that I think sums it up well. Can I just read this poem? I'd love you just to listen to the words as I read this. It's called The Layers by Stanley Kunitz. It says this. I think there's a line in here I'll pull out later. It says... I have walked through many lives, some of them my own, and I am not who I was. Though some principle of being abides from which I struggle not to stray, when I look behind as I am compelled to look before I gather strength to proceed on my journey, I see the milestones dwindling toward the horizon and the, and the slow fires trailing from the abandoned campsites over which scavenger angels wheel on heavy wings. 
Oh, I have made myself a tribe out of my true affections, and my tribe is scattered. How shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? How shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? Is this not a reality that we've all experienced in life, that life is not all the ups, but there is an awful lot of loss? The the poem goes on. But that is the line that really struck me. How shall our hearts be reconciled to this feast of losses? How and why? We don't often have answers to our pain and God doesn't often give us them in this lifetime. So then how shall our heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? I wanna talk a little bit about how I feel when we delve into scripture, how this actually works out. Is that cool? So I'm gonna talk about why I believe that the grief, that this value of the kingdom, this mourning that Jesus is talking about here, how that actually enlarges our soul. Let me read you a story. In the fall of 1991, Jerry and Linda Sitzer, along with his mother and their four children, ranging from ages two to eight, were driving in a minivan along a lonely stretch of highway in rural Idaho. They had been using a nearby Native American Indian reservation as a school project for their two oldest children. They seemed, as friends described them, like the million-dollar family. They felt as if they were living on top of the world. Ten minutes into their drive home, Sitzer noticed the car traveling extremely fast. He slowed down at a curve, but on the oncoming car, traveling at 85 miles per hour, crashed headlong into their minivan. The driver was drunk. In one moment, Sitzer lost three generations, his mother, his wife, and their four-year-old daughter. He writes, in one moment, my family as I had known and cherished it was obliterated. Sitzer sat on the lonely highway watching them die. The driver of the other car was eventually declared not guilty and set free because it could not be proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that they had been driving the car. And Sitzer went on and wrote a book about his descent into an abyss of grief, an incomprehensible chain, uh, pain that changed his life. Under the title, A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss, he says this, and I'd love you to listen to these words. Catastrophic loss, by definition, precludes recovery. It will, dis- it will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There's no going back to the past. It is not therefore true that we become less through loss, unless we allow the loss to make us less, grinding our soul down until there is nothing left. Loss can also make us more. I did not get over my loved ones. Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life until it became part of who I am. Sorrow took up permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. One learns the pain of others by suffering one's own pain by turning inside oneself, by finding one's own soul, however painful, sorrow is good for the soul. The soul is elastic like a balloon. It grows larger through suffering. We all recognize that this is the reality of life. But why? I believe that Jesus is teaching us about mourning today because there's something about it that is good for us in one sense, in a strange upside down way, it somehow enlarges the soul. And so as much as we don't have answers for the deaths and the losses in our lives, 
There's something that it's doing in us. Richard Rohr says that spirituality is in large part what you do with your pain. That's it. Spirituality is pretty much what you do with your pain. It's part of the human experience. All of us have it. As we've talked about today, it affects us in so many different ways. But there is a mystery to life that our souls are enlarged in grief and sorrow. There's a sense from Jesus here that those who mourn know something. They know that the kingdom is among them. How? How does this happen? I'd love to share three ways that grief enlarges our souls and shows us this upside down value of the kingdom of God. This beatitude of mourning in Jesus' upside down kingdom. And I hope and I trust today, no matter where you are, with the deaths or the losses or the pains that you carry, that it will minister to you, that it will help you process wherever you're at. Because I really believe Jesus has got something to teach us today. He knows something about mourning. And as difficult as it might be to look at today, he really wants us to take it seriously. Here's the first one. Receive grief, don't deny it. It's the first point. It was my hairdresser, as I was saying at the beginning, that taught me about, was telling me about the coworker who passed away, and she was telling me how there was a public funeral for this individual. Um, but instead of a funeral, sorry, there was a celebration of life, which is a beautiful thing, and I love it, and I think it's a beautiful thing that Christians do, to have a celebration and celebrate someone's life. But I guess as I was reflecting on that, as I was reflecting on this verse, I was sensing that I suppose sometimes in celebrating a life only, we can miss this opportunity to mourn something that is precious to us and the incredible need for us as humans to do that and the incredible power that there is if we really take Jesus' words seriously. This is what Brian Zahn says about that beatitude. He rewrites it like this. The spirit of the age blesses those who are shallow, and thus happy all the time, but Jesus blesses those who have the capacity to mourn deeply. So receive grief. Don't push it down, don't deny it. If we go through life avoiding and minimizing pain, if we'd never talk about it in church, like we're doing today, like it's really uncomfortable, but we're doing it because we're going there because the scripture has led us there today to talk about this. And I believe it's for someone in this room or some of us in this room. If we always just talk about the good stuff and we don't talk about this stuff, we'll just become, well, shallow or misguided. Jesus knows there's something about this that we need to get, something undeniable. Own it, receive it, don't deny it. Grief, I often learned to taught up was like, when I was growing up, I, I felt like I was taught that grief was like this interruption or obstacle in life. Like you just gotta get over it or get through it or just like ignore it or just get over it. You hear people saying that, just get over it or move on or it's not a biblical idea, it's not a spiritual idea to do that. Grief is not an interruption or an obstacle for living and serving God. It's actually a part of, of the process. It's a necessary path for all of us no matter how big the grief or how small the losses, we have got to embrace if we're gonna see God's kingdom take shape in our lives. Because that is the place of transformation. That is the place of depth. And we have a choice to make that we either push it down and ignore it and deny it or we enter into it and we receive it. We know the kingdom of God and its values 
The Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes are concerned with the internal, our wholeness as human beings, our inner orientations, our overall health. We looked a few weeks ago in our series um, on words about that cycle of pain, that unless we actually see our pain transformed, it is transmitted. And I'm not going to go over that again today. But I want to just sum it up, I suppose, in saying that if we don't go here, if we deny, we don't receive grief, mourning, that posture, if we don't do that in a myriad of ways, we become not transformed by it, but we become transmitters of it. We transmit pain rather than transform it. Our hearts can become closed and hard to God. A place of non-intimacy is what the soul becomes if we don't embrace, embrace grief. And this pain can leak out into our lives and we become angry or we avoid emotions or relationships. But if we do the work of grieving, we enter into the Jesus way where we absorb and we invite the spirit in to see it transformed into love that it becomes a gift to the world. The degree to which we learn to grieve our losses, Redeemer, is in direct proportion to the depth and quality of our relationship with God and the compassion that we can offer the world and others. When we grieve layers of our counterfeit self or shed away and we fully experience ourselves and life, we fully experience life and we create some space for God to work and for his spirit to fill us. There's a poem that I want to read by Mary Oliver who just passed away and it just describes this idea of showing up. Let me just read it to you. When death comes, like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse, to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like the iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness. And therefore I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood and I look upon time as no more than an idea and I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and a singular. And each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does towards silence. And each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I had made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. That's a poem called When Death Comes by Mary Oliver. It's just talking about the reality of life and living full with an openness to all that life would give us, an embrace of all that life would give us. I love that line that says, when it's over, I want to say all of my life, I was a bride amazed to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. The spirit of the age blesses those who are shallow, I'm thus happy all the time, but Jesus blesses those who have the capacity to mourn deeply. Sorrow and grief is necessary consequence, guys, of showing up in the world. Receive it. Don't 
deny it, don't avoid it, don't push it down. Loving others, it's evidence of loving others and being fully engaged with humanity. We're all different and our losses are all different. But nonetheless, we must embrace grieving and mourning as it enlarges our souls. Receive it, don't deny it. Here's the second thing that mourning, I believe, does for us. Here's another translation from Brian Zand. Blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve for they create space to encounter comfort from one another. So here's the second point today. Grief helps us to receive the comfort of others. You see, if we engage with sorrow and grief work that awaits all of us in whatever season we're in, we begin to carve out this depth in our souls that creates a space to be filled with, the, with comfort from other people. It's as simple as that. The role of community, the role of the church, to be a place where wounded healers can help other wounded souls heal. And not just with words, but with tears and with presence and with being. Isaiah 40 verse one says this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. There's other verses in scripture, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who who mourn, live in harmony with one another. There's this deep mystery, Redeemer, that to be human and to be alive and to be in connection and relationship with one another means that the hard but necessary work of mourning and grieving does not have to be done alone. If that's the place that you find yourself today, if you find yourself in any of the stories that I've talked about today, or you you find yourself carrying some death or some losses or some disappointment or pain today, I want you to know that you're not alone. If you're here today, you're not alone. That this is a community for you, to support you. We choose to bear the burden of sorrows with other people. And it really, really does lighten the load. I have seen this in this community in the past couple of weeks. Very specifically, I have seen some of our tables rallying around people who are experiencing great loss in their lives. I have seen meals be cooked and put in the freezer and taken out to people who are experiencing death and difficulty in in this season of life, illness and ill health. I have seen that happen in this community in the last two weeks, amazingly. The most challenging and painful of times that people have been going through and they have received the comfort of others. That's what grief does, what mourning does. There's something that Jesus wants to teach us today about mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Receive the comfort of others. And not only the comfort of others, but the third point I wanna share today is that we receive comfort from God himself through the Holy Spirit, who is the great comforter. That today, if you are in mourning today, if you are at a loss today, if this is just really awkward for you to sit through this, if this is painful, God knows, God comforts, God consoles because we believe in a God who is a father who lost his son 
at the hands of humanity. We believe in a God who is the son who lost his life at the hands of humanity. He understands. He sympathizes. He comforts. Let me just read you this. There was a Yale professor called Nick, Nicholas Walderstuff, and he was a theologian. He wrote a book that was reflecting on the loss of his, uh, his, his son, Eric, who was 10, in a mountain climbing accident. He wrote a book that says, it says this, through the prison of my tears, I have seen a suffering God. It is said of God that no one can behold his face and live. I always thought this meant that no one can see his splendor and live. A friend said perhaps it meant that no one could see his sorrow and live. Or perhaps God's sorrow is his splendor. We have a God today, Redeemer, who knows sorrow. He is the God who is Christ that went to the cross to suffer to the point of death. He experienced the painful loss of the betrayal of friends and reputation and dignity and ultimately his life. And he, Jesus the Christ, is described as the man of sorrows. In Isaiah 53, verse 3 to 6, it says this, that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one who from men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us such peace and with his wounds we are healed. He is the one, Redeemer, who was acquainted with grief the one who stood on the mountain and said, blessed are those who mourn, went to a different mountain and gave his life for us. He's acquainted with grief and surely today, as we carry our sorrows and griefs and losses and deaths through life, we know the one that by his wounds we experience true healing. Redeemer, this is the God who knows our grief, carries our grief and our sorrows. But in his death and in his resurrection brings healing, I believe, and wholeness. He speaks hope today. He speaks life today into all of those little deaths and losses because he is the God who has overthrown our greatest enemy, death. He has overcome death. Oh, death, where is your sting? The resurrection of Jesus is the reality that death has been defeated And the hope is that all of our small deaths and losses find the potential to be these little resurrections of life, birthings of new worlds and new possibilities, of a life lived deeply in connection with the creator, with a deep, deep joy, not denying our grief and our pain and our sorrow, but but inviting it in a sense, holding it, having our, our souls enlarged and breathed into, owning it in a sense, letting it just be, letting it take place. We experience the comfort of others and we experience the comfort from our God, the man of sorrows, and we make ground for resurrection and life to grow again. Redeemer, we know this is the story that we're caught up in. 
because we've talked about it a lot recently. I feel like maybe God wants to say something to us as a community because it feels like for two or three weeks we've been in some of these passages, but I want to read this again. This is the story we're caught up in, the story of God's work in the world in Isaiah 61 that says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, speaking of Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Redeemer, we know today this is a difficult subject, but we're going there, we've been there, we're in it. We know that life can be hard, but we know that our God is in the business of restoration and healing that the path of grief is the way of Jesus. He has sent me, Jesus, this is Jesus saying, to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim uh, freedom for the captives. So Redeemer, I'd love us to stand. I'd love us to stand. I'd love to invite the band up. I'd love us to come to the table to celebrate this God, this Jesus, this man of sorrows who has borne our grief, who knows our pains, who invites us into his love and his grace. And this is what Jesus would have to say to you today. If you're carrying some kind of a loss or a difficulty or a death, how big or small that may be, whether it's the literal death of someone very close to you, or whether it's deaths in all their, their natural ways in everyday life, Jesus would say that you're blessed You're blessed. Those who mourn, you are blessed. And he wants to comfort you today. He wants to break into your life today. He wants to bring comfort to you. Open your hands to receive. Maybe you're someone in this room today who is always the one who goes and comforts other people. Maybe today it's your time to receive comfort from God. You're always the one to console other people. Maybe this morning is your time to receive the comfort of the Father, the one who lost his son, the one who knows, the one who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds.